What is up, my dudes? It is Alec Lindstrom, former Boston College offensive lineman. You're listening to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. Go Eagles and go ACC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, Sunday night fever. I guess we're doing this a little more formally than last year. No cold open. How do you feel about that? I like our intro a lot, mm-hmm. so I'm good with it. Uh, 45-17, Florida State just scored yep. as we speak. Uh, mm-hmm. Want to start there? I, I feel like we have to. Um, we don't have a final score for you. Like, specifically, I guess there's a chance that something could happen from here, but it, it certainly feels like it's over. Uh, yeah. We record here Sunday evening. It is 11 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, Florida state just scored to take a 45 to 17 lead on LSU. My goodness, Mike, yeah. um, what a performance from LSU or from Florida state, especially in the second half. Um, I, I, I have been really impressed with what they've done. I thought Mike Norvell has been a little bit in his bag. Uh, Colin plays, uh, Florida State's defense has, has, you know, answered the bell. Just a really good performance by them, and a little bit of a, a little bit of an implosion by LSU in the second half, too. I would say total implosion. I mean, I, I look at from the LSU side. I mean, we'll start there because I mean, this conversation is going to be dominated by Florida State mm-hmm. because of how they played in this game, rightfully so. But LSU in this game in the first half, especially, I thought, obviously got. The game started off on the right foot. Daniels completes 55-yard pass out the gate, and all of a sudden LSU is driving less than mid into the game. They're deep in Florida State territory. And I'm thinking kind of immediately, okay, the questions about Florida State going into the season were about the defense. It wasn't about the offense. It was about the defense. And there weren't even like questions as far as, okay, is this team going to be game on the defensive side of the ball? It was really just going to be, that's going to be the weaker of the two units. We could see some growing pains early in the year, especially with a big test like LSU early in the season. As I say this, I'm watching LSU scamper in for a long touchdown, too little, too late. Told you we didn't have a final score. Uh, yeah, that's that's <laughs> why you put disclaimers out there like that. Um, but yeah, like the, the questions were going to be around Florida State's defense and the growing pains early in the year. And I thought LSU in the first half did a really good job getting the ball down deep into Florida State territory. The problem was Florida State decided on two separate occasions in the first half to, instead of elect to kick field goals, because you're not going to kick field goals to beat Florida State, to try to convert two fourth and shorts, and they couldn't do it. Uh, Took them, what was it, six tries inside the 10-yard line on the first drive of the game uh, to try to punch it in. Couldn't do it. Uh, This is a really dismal LSU performance offensively. I thought they were just okay, right? I, I thought that, um, you know, the, the final score is going to show them scoring whatever is 24 points, I think. But they left a lot out there, especially in the first half. But you have to credit Florida State's defense and how they responded. A lot of bend but don't break in the first half that seemed to work out. And then the second half, this has been a totally different football game. Florida State's defense really stepped up in the second half. LSU couldn't really get much going at all. Uh, the, the turnover by Daniels really is where this thing started to turn. Um, you know, LSU was trailing by seven. 
he throws a crucial interception because Malik Neighbors fell down. First play uh, of the fourth quarter. First play of the fourth quarter is where this really started to turn. But you could sense the momentum was kind of building for Florida State, and that's really, in my opinion, where the game flipped mm-hmm. and really turned into you know Florida State kind of imposing their will. And the fourth quarter was all Seminoles. Jordan Travis, what more can you say? 23 of 31, 342, four touchdowns. Uh, did have one interception. But, you know, Florida State didn't really have to run the ball all that much tonight because LSU could not cover really anybody, but especially Keon Coleman. And I put mm-hmm. out a tweet. I, I said, you know, the tired take is Jordan Travis for Heisman. The wired take is Keon Coleman for Heisman. Mm-hmm. Nine receptions, 122 yards, and three touchdowns in this football game. That good, Mike? He was outstanding. Uh, real, real good. Yeah, <laughs> not bad. So Florida State, they're for real. Because this LSU team, Joey, it's so early in the year, and this got away from them a little bit tonight. I think if you play this game 10 times, I don't think LSU loses by three scores <laughs> maybe again. No, yeah. I mean, this is an LSU team that's going to seriously compete, in my opinion, for the SEC West again. Mm-hmm. They're going to be a very good football team this year. And, LS- and LSU, you know, falling falling by three scores in this game uh, it really tells you a lot about how Florida State played. Florida State is for real, Joey. They are. I mean, again, both of these teams have had their issues tonight. I mean, it felt it's, it's felt like there's been a dozen dropped passes between the two of them. I mean, it's, and and we'll get into this as we go through all these different games, but like it is very clearly week one for everybody. Um, and there have been missed assignments from both of these defenses. There have been, you know, a number of glitches kind of throughout this game. So I, I don't think that you see this and you think, Oh, Florida state's going to win the national title. Like, Oh, they're, they are, you know, world beater. Good. I no, think those take those take, those takes are out there already. I'm sure. Which... I'm sure. <laughs> I, and I have told you I am in on Florida state this year. I am, mm-hmm. I am not getting ahead of myself with, with the way that this game has gone. Uh, very impressive. No. I, I do think LSU, I mean, I saw how, how much better they were from the beginning of last season to the end of last season, LSU, especially. Yep. So I think that that'll probably continue. I think they've got a really good coaching staff. So I think they will they will improve throughout the year. And this will be fine. This win will age very nicely for Florida State. I think um, as yeah. as we get later into the year. Um, but definitely, I mean, an impressive performance for sure. Um, and and it seemed like there were some jitters there in the first quarter, maybe in, into the second quarter at times. For Jordan Travis, made a couple of real head scratching decisions on certain at certain moments. Not great uh, at all times, but ultimately comes away 23 of 31 for 342 and four scores and the one pick. I mean, you take that every time if you can get that from your quarterback. So uh, I, I'm impressed with Florida State here, especially, you know, going into halftime, they're down and to come out and, and pull away the way that they did, especially in the fourth quarter. Just, yeah, really impressed. Really, really impressed. Really good. Good evening for the Knowles. I mean, you just, it was 45 to 17 here in the fourth quarter. I mean, I, we previewed this thing and can't say I saw that coming. Uh, there were a lot of, uh, there were a lot of potential outcomes out there. Uh, I was not thinking it would be 45 to 17 with a minute and a half to go. And this is probably on the fringe in terms of, you know, potential outcomes in this game. But man, oh man, Joey, this is, 
quite the performance by Florida State. Mm-hmm. It, the entire offseason, it's been Knowles are back, right? Uh, you know, Florida State's going to win the ACC. Florida State's going to be a playoff contender. Florida State's going to be a national championship contender. This is the year for Norvell. You have to listen to that all offseason. Then you have the players coming out leading up to this game saying that, you know, we do believe we're as good as advertised, which is something, you know, Johnny Wilson especially was coming out saying that, which is something that, you know, you don't necessarily want to hear if you're going into like a gigantic game in week one. But then, you know, he had a couple drops tonight, but he backed that up. He had over 100 yards receiving, had a really good night. And Florida State is for real. They are going to be very, very good. Mm -hmm. This is going to be an as-advertised, as-forecasted team until further notice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, until they just randomly stumble and turn into something that, you know, is totally opposite of what we watched tonight. This is going to be an ACC title contender. No-brainer, right? Mm -hmm. And a college football playoff contender, without a doubt. Mm -hmm. I think so. Alexis Solaris in the uh, comments, Joey's high on Florida State. Haven't we seen how that ends? Yeah, I guess we have. Chris Grondon makes a good point. Yeah, a couple of years ago, banned himself from betting Florida State. I know, I know, I know. We've been here. We've been down this road. We've done this before. I know we have. I'm ready to be hurt again. There's a, uh, not that I'm even a Florida State fan. I just, I just, I can't quit him. I don't know. I don't know. It's, uh, this team's different. Seems different. Seems so, a little bit different. Yeah. We'll see. Keon Coleman, as you mentioned, and Johnny Wilson. I mean, 16 catches for 226 and three scores. Now, Coleman had all three of those scores, but I, man, that is a couple of receivers that are probably going to be top 50 picks in the NFL draft next year, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean Coleman might be like a top fifteen pick. <laughs> he's yeah, he's a stud. Uh, how oh, many one teams, thing I want to mention: how many teams are gonna? Go how many teams are they gonna play that are gonna have an answer for that duo? I, I'm not sure many, if any. Uh, I mean, you have six four and six seven, and the six four guy is an athletic specimen, and the six seven guy is a physical specimen, also very athletic. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're legit. They're legit. And uh, the one thing I want to mention, too, because it's kind of lost in how well Travis played, you know, through the air. That option run that he had was unbelievable by the goal on line. the goal line. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> he's reading. He's reading the defensive end and then he feels the blindside pressure. He's reading the end on on the right side of the line. On the, on the strong side of the formation, he's reading mm-hmm. the end, and he feels the weak side pressure. He had no reason to feel that pressure. Coming from the left he's, side. Coming from the left side of the line, stutter steps backwards and trots into the end zone while the entire play is going to the right. I mean, it was an off-script play. It was not supposed to be drawn up that way. There are not many – I tweeted this. There are not many quarterbacks in the country that feel that pressure on a read option play where you're reading the strong side defensive end. That was an unbelievable play by Jordan Travis. That's an instinctual play that not a lot of guys make. Yeah, that that was eyes in the back of your head or like illegal earpiece in. Somebody's telling you what to do. Like there, there's no good way you should know what's going Start on there. Conspiracies. <laughs> yeah, Start right. Conspiracy yeah. theories now. Yeah. Yeah. Conspiracy Joey over here. Um, you heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> 
Florida State finishes this game 45-24 winners. Uh, that's number eight Florida State over number five LSU. I, I I was thinking to myself a little bit, and we don't have to go too far down this road, but I was thinking maybe early in the fourth quarter as Florida State had a lead, but it's like mm-hmm. if you lose this game, it's like this is a close competitive game, and it would really bother me if the team that loses here automatically gets voted out of the top 10. You know, they're down to 12 or 15, and it's like, it, I, I just kind of hate the way that we all kind of agree to do this sometimes with the, the poll voting. It's like, oh, yeah, a, a top 10 team just played a very competitive, close game against another top 10 team. Just because you lose doesn't mean you're now not a top 10 team. Like, you know, it seems like you val- actually validated your status as a top 10 team uh, by playing a close competitive game with them. So we'll see what happens with LSU again. This score got got out of out of hand here in the fourth quarter. But, um, you know, curious to see how that'll all end up. I, I do. I, I am convinced though. watching those two, th- those are two very good teams that played tonight. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're going to be two of the top seven to 10 teams in the sport this year. I think mm-hmm. uh, I, I watched a lot of football this weekend and I didn't see two teams with the talent that those two have. I mean, I, I, so. I saw it sporadically. Like I saw, you know, obviously Alabama looked really good. Oklahoma <laughs> 73 burger. Oregon scored 81 but like as far as like teams playing teams of their caliber right this was we did not see many matchups this weekend with these kind of athletes on the same field at the same time and I Mm -hmm. I think for the most part I think for the most part this lived up to the billing at least for like three quarters I I thought it was a hell of a game it was fun to watch yeah I mean, I've watched worse football on Sunday nights. So. <laughs> that is true. And and more to come here in the coming weeks, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Mike, you want to move on to other games that you did watch this, this weekend? I don't. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't have a ton else to say here. I, and it's pretty funny we mentioned that because we're just, you know, literally coming off of watching it. But like. Not a ton else to say. Florida State looked really freaking good in the second half. Mm-hmm. LSU is probably going to bemoan the missed opportunities in the first half. But, yeah, I mean, this is a, a big win for Florida State. This makes it a little bit more difficult for them to be like a 10-2 and two conference champion. <laughs> like, I, I'm looking at the schedule like, okay, they play Clemson in a few weeks. Outside of that game, show me the losses based on what we saw tonight. Mm-hmm. going to be hard to find them. Well, and I'm curious to see what Clemson looks like tomorrow night because I, yes, I, I texted yeah, I you already. Like this, this Florida State team is going to beat Clemson here in a few weeks. Um, we'll we'll see again. Clemson under new management, you know, on offense, and uh, you know have have had a long off season to try to work on things and improve. So we'll see. But this Florida State team I saw tonight, I think, has too much offensive firepower for Clemson to keep up with. A good sign for Clemson fans is that DJU got out of the Brandon Streeter system, went to Oregon State, and played unbelievable football today. Mm-hmm. That's probably a good sign for Clemson fans because it means that the scheme was probably some trash. It probably wasn't DJU. Yeah. Probably the scheme. I mean, we'll, we'll see. It's a one-game sample size. But, yeah. And we'll see how Clemson looks tomorrow night, of course. Yep, yep. Mike, where to from here? Let's talk about Boston College. Boston College. Not mm. not great. Uh, Northern Illinois, 27. Boston College, 24 in overtime. Um, yeah. This was this was kind of rough. Um, man, Boston College, 
end up having to make a change from Emmett Moorhead to Thomas Castellanos. Um, that, that seemed like it got the offense going a little bit, but still, you know, a little bit too too little too late. Uh, Northern Illinois is up seven nothing at halftime. They, you know, they lead again kind of late in the fourth quarter. Boston College comes back, ties the game, sends it to overtime, and then uh, kicks a field goal before giving up a touchdown to Northern Illinois to walk it off. Um, yeah, not not a great look. Not a great look. I think we're going to see more of Thomas Castellanos and less of Emmett Moorhead moving forward. I think it's safe to say this was it's kind of bizarre after what Dan told us in the in the preview. I'm interested to see what Dan has to say now because mm-hmm. Dan is Dan works for the Boston College Athletic Department. Dan is around the football program a lot. Dan is not an idiot. He's very tied in. Something's going on here. Mm-hmm. This, by the way, I hate to do this like after week one, but Joey, I am not feeling good about Jeff Halfley. This is this is not a good start to a year that he needed to have a good year. Not good. I mean, really not good. Yeah. I don't know. And look, this is a game that BC really had to like scratch and claw to get back into. So, I mean, let's start there. They were down a bit. And they had to really stage quite the comeback in the fourth quarter to even get this into overtime. And this is a Northern Illinois team that is not very good. Like three and to nine the point last where, year, I think. Yeah. Like I'm not sure they're making a bowl game this year to the point where I am downgrading Boston college expectations significantly. And I wasn't high on them to begin with, but this is a BC team that, you know, what we talked about, you know, heading into the year, and Joey, you were a little bit higher on them than I was. But your point was always look at the non-conference schedule, mm-hmm. which I thought was a fair point because I was saying, I think this BC team could only win like four games. And you're like, yeah, but look at the non-con. Mm-hmm. It was a fair It was a fair point. Now I'm looking at the non-con and instead of like, show me the losses, I'm like, show me the wins mm-hmm. after that performance. I mean, that's... That Holy Cross game especially hmm. is going to be an interesting one because they're not a bad FCS program and it's a regional game that BC absolutely has to have and it means a lot to the athletic department to win that game. And I'm not sure that's a shoe-in victory for BC. Uh, BC will be favored, but I'm not sure it's a shoe-in victory for BC. I don't think so. And after, especially after this performance and good lord joey if bc finds a way to lose that game are we on like firing watch mid-year like is bc going to like pull a trigger on it's boston college right yeah they're not gonna pull a trigger on halfley like in the middle of the season are they i don't think so i don't get a a, a real sense of urgency from boston college i mean remember how long they let steve adazio stick around just going six and six seven and five every single year right like I don't think it's a mid-season situation, but like, I also don't know that Boston College is going to be okay not making bowl games year over year, right? Like, and so you missed one last year, injury issues, you get it. But to miss a bowl game two years in a row, and again, like we said, out of conference, Northern Illinois, Holy Cross, at Army, and home against UConn, we said in the preseason that should probably be at least three and one, if not four and oh. And, uh, you know, we got the one. They got the one. I, you know, don't don't lose another one. 
got games against Virginia. Like there, there's, there is bowl game potential here, but you got to show some more confident competence than what we've seen here uh, so far this season. I mean, in the first half, I mean, Boston College's drive chart, six plays, 21 yards punt, five plays, two yards punt, 11 plays, 41 yards punt, three plays, four yards punt, seven plays, 27 yards punt. Yeah. Like, that's what you did in the first half after a whole offseason of work and, you know, and all this stuff. I mean, Emmett Moorhead was pulled before the end of the first half. You know, Thomas mm-hmm. Castellanos was in there in the second quarter. Like, in the first yeah. quarter even. My goodness. I, I mean... I don't know. Not a good look for Boston College here. Friend of the program, Chris Grondon. Maybe BC can be the one team worse than Virginia. And what I will say is this. I watched that Virginia game against Tennessee. Joey and I went in pretty hard on Virginia's UVA. Virginia awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. We went in pretty hard on UVA in the week one preview saying there is no way they can compete with Tennessee for four quarters. This is an awful matchup. The result ended up that way, but UVA showed a hell of a lot more fight, especially in the first half than I anticipated. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, I come out of week one feeling a lot better about UVA than I do about Boston College. Yeah. Is what I'll say about that. We'll talk about UVA here in a few minutes, but just in regard to that comment, don't think that this is just now an automatic like UVA is absolutely going to be the the bottom dweller in the ACC this year. They're going to be the team. They may have some competition. Mm hmm. Yeah, we'll, they may have some competition. We'll get there. Um, I don't know. I mean, give some credit to Northern Illinois. And again, we said, I mean, two two years ago, they they beat Georgia Tech. And that was where I wrote the article saying Jeff Collins is done. And then yeah. Northern Illinois turns around and, and wins the MAC, if I'm not mistaken. They went like nine and three. Now, you could also say that they won eight of those games by a combined like 16 points or something like that to where it was like, you know, just just winning close game after close game after close game, which yeah, is that sustainable or not? You know, who knows? But yeah, not not great here for Boston College and, and a game they never led in until, you know, kicking a field goal in overtime. Um, that's <laughs> just not it's not a good look, not a good look. And especially, again, having to change quarterbacks in the middle of the, the first half of your first game. Yikes. It's not good. And Moorhead was supposed to be like the heir apparent, right? Like he was supposed to be the guy that stepped in and and would be really good. It would be seamless. Emmett and Leshead. now you're coming. Chris Grondon. Emmett Leshead, baby. <laughs> Emmett Leshead. And now you got to play Holy Cross in a nooner next Saturday. And I just. Let's keep an eye on that one is all I will say. I'm going to be watching more Boston College versus Holy Cross than I would normally watch mm-hmm. is what I'll say. Yeah, my my understanding is if, if I'm allowed to throw a term around like this is that Holy Cross is a little bit of a buzzsaw of the FCS. So and, and you know, a local team up and coming coach like those guys are going to be up and ready to play this game. Like you cannot let Northern Illinois beat you twice. Don't, you know, just don't get beat in that game. You you have got to get some momentum then for the following week, the red bandana game at home against Florida State on ABC at noon. Like, man, this is a dangerous spot coming up for Boston College. I, Yeah. And again, BC should win. Should. But interested in that line. Mm-hmm. 
I'm interested in that line. I am as well. Not that I'll play it. Not that I'll play it, but, you know, I'm interested in that, seeing what that is. Because I think that's going to tell us a lot about what the markets think about Boston College. Because it's a Holy Cross team, like you mentioned, Joey. Good program. And BC coming off of a weird loss. They should be favored. And this is one of those situations where I think, you know, betting markets can trap people. Where they're like, oh, BC lost to Northern Illinois. Like, are we sure they're as good as whole? I mean, they'll, they'll do the same thing we're doing. Are are we sure they're just going to roll over Holy Cross? Then they'll set a weird line, and then BC will win by like two or three scores because that's how this thing works. Yeah, but let's just keep an eye on it. Is all I'll say. I was gonna say if I if I see a spread where it's like Boston College minus thirteen or something like that, it's like maybe we should probably lay those. Like, just yeah, right. Maybe this right. doesn't actually all implode in front of our eyes. Little little fishy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, Mike. Where to? Oh, let's talk about your jackets, Joey. All right, let's do it. Um, Mike, first off, good teams win, great teams cover. So shout out to the Jackets for uh, winning the, uh, the the game within the game. We'll say that. It. They made it interesting, though. They did. They did. This is a game, you know, and and I felt I felt this way for a lot of teams this week was. Um, a, a very mixed bag situation. Um, a, a, you know, plenty of good, plenty of bad, very week one type performance, you know, some, some mental mistakes and, and just things that happened. I, you know, I just, there were good moments for sure. I mean, Haynes King had good moments, uh, Trey Cooley, especially and, and, and that run game in the second quarter. I mean, they were, they looked unstoppable. Um, there for four straight drives, I think it was going in scoring touchdowns against Louisville's defense. Um, credit to Louisville. Louisville made some some adjustments in the second half and basically shut out Georgia Tech until the game was more or less put away. Um, yeah. Credit to them. I think they changed the offense a little bit too to maybe try to calm things down, slow things down for Jack Plummer. Um, he he in particular, I, I was very impressed by the Louisville skill players. Um, I, I thought their their backs yeah. and receivers were were very uh, quite impressive in this game. I was not impressed by Jack Plummer. Um, a lot of you know short arm throws, throwing behind yep. receivers, just off target, not on time. You know, I I do think he played better as the game went on, but certainly in that first half or so, he did not look comfortable. He did not look good. Uh, so that was not not a great look. I didn't think from Jack Plummer in this game. No, I mean, immediate takeaway was Louisville's dudes kind of outshine Georgia Tech's dudes, which was not the case the whole game, by the way. Uh, you know, the first half, Georgia Tech. That's better than this. Out- Guys being dudes. I'm glad we have that, Gerard. Mm-hmm. Uh, R.I.P. Stevie Dazio. Yeah, he's not, he's not dead. He's not, but- he's not dead. He's just not in the ACC he's- anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> gotta be. Just gotta be clear. Uh, Georgia Tech, I thought, from a skill position standpoint, passed the test in the first half. The second half, things got a little bit more stagnant on offense. I think where Georgia Tech separated itself in the first half was the fact that some of those skill guys broke a few tackles, right? Like, Haynes King's stats, he was 19-32, threw for 313, three touchdowns, one interception. What you mentioned a minute ago is that he had his moments. I think that's a really, really good description of the Haynes King performance. He had his moments. Also, the skill position guys had their moments because there were there were some spots here where it was 
less about Haynes King and more about the Georgia Tech skill position players. Just like your Jack Plummer point, where it was, you know, a lot of times less about Jack Plummer, more about the Louisville skill position guys. Mm -hmm. I think the difference in this game, at least in my opinion, watching this in the second half, is that Louisville started tackling a lot better. Georgia Tech got a few busted plays in the first half. Guys were, I mean, Trey Cooley made a few guys miss in the open field en route to his couple touchdowns. Um, Georgia Tech had a, a few long passing plays there in the second quarter, especially where, you know, guys shook one guy and then broke loose. And Louisville had less of that going on in the second half. I think defensively, they just started playing a lot better. Mm -hmm. And then you saw Louisville's offensive skill guys who were definitely there and around in the first half started making more plays in the second half as, you know, defense was starting to get off the field. And all of a sudden, you know, Georgia Tech's kind of back against the wall situation where Louisville's all of a sudden just... <laughs> They're coming, right? Like the offense was moving the ball quickly down the field. They had some quick success on a few drives. I just feel like Georgia Tech was definitely game here. Louisville, I think it was a slow start for sure, especially on offense. And I think they found their footing as the game went along. And it was just a game of runs. Mm -hmm. Like Georgia Tech obviously had their run the first half. It, you know, they go up a couple scores and then Louisville obviously goes on the run the second half. But the skill position guys for Louisville, the skill position guys for Georgia Tech stood out to me too. But the skill position guys for Louisville, like, that's where the game turned. And, you know, going into the, you know, week one preview, we were like, all right, the story here is going to be Louisville's probably a little bit more finished product in terms of, like, kids they've recruited. Like, I was feeling a little bit better about Louisville's skill position guys going into the game. It didn't play out the way I expected, but the end result kind of played out the way I thought in the preview. It was a really weird game. It was high scoring. I wasn't necessarily expecting it to be as high scoring as it was. Yeah, neither was I. And I, I thought both defenses would play a lot better than they did. This was the, and, and we have a few games like this this week. This was the epitome of like a lot of week one stuff. A lot of missed tackles, a lot of poor run fits, a lot of... Um, you know, the better athletes winning the matchups, right? Which will be true all year, but especially in week one, we had a lot of that going on in this game. Mm -hmm. I'm encouraged. I will say, Joey, I am encouraged by what I saw out of Georgia Tech for sure. Mm -hmm. I, I think this is going to be a team that's going to be very annoying to play against this year, which is kind of what I anticipated they would be. I think, you know, what I said was five and seven, I think was my prediction. I think they'll be right in that 5-6 win range. They're going to be very, very annoying to play. And they're going to be more competent now at Brent Key. And they definitely have some skill position players. I'm concerned about Haynes King a little bit just because, like, I don't know if he's going to bring the juice every week through the air that Georgia Tech needs. That's been my concern all along. But he did enough in this game, even when, you know, the skill position guys weren't doing all this, like, crazy explosive stuff. He was good in the run game, too. Mm -hmm. He did enough for Georgia Tech to be competent be a like, a bowl eligibility type team. So mm -hmm. I, I'm encouraged by what I saw Georgia Tech for sure. Yeah. I, you know, I, I was disappointed in the loss. I, I've told this to a few different people now is like, I, I was disappointed in the how, not the what, like if you had told me this time last week, Hey, Georgia Tech is going to lose this game 39, 34. I'd be like, interesting, kind of high scoring, but like, I think I'm okay with that. Right. Like, it's, it's not that they lost, it's how they lost. It's having that lead and blowing it in the second half um, and, and really just going ice cold on offense for a majority of the second half. I mean, that that sucked for sure. Um, 
there was a comment made to, I think, Alexis Solaris. Uh, absolutely right. The, the, the tackling in, in the open field, especially, and I think by the secondary, yeah. Um, yeah, was really rough. Um, and, and there was, I mean, the, the, the dagger, I think, in this game, the Jawar Jordan 74-yard touchdown run, I mean, most of that was after contact. There, there was, I think it was yeah. Clayton Powell Lee or, you know, a defender for Georgia Tech came up and hit him and, and didn't wrap him up. And he just bounced off and took off and was off to the races. Um, so I, I felt like, you know, just in a lot of ways, it was, it was a mixed bag. It was, it felt like there were a lot of people having issues at different times, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, Haynes King would struggle for a drive or two, and then he would start pulling it together. And then the receivers would struggle to get open or struggle to, you know, catch the ball or, uh, then the offensive line was struggling to protect him. Like it, it just, it really kind of clicked there for a few drives in the second quarter. And other than that, you know, on offense, it was, it was a little bit of a struggle. Um, I do think that especially in the second half, I mean, and and I, I don't have the play by play in front of me or the drive chart, but um, I, the defense for Georgia tech, I think wore down um, as, yeah. as Louisville was able to sustain drives. Georgia tech was not. Um, so that I think definitely played a role you know, Louisville goes 26 straight points, I think, out of, out of halftime uh, to take the lead. And so I, I I thought it was a good win for Louisville. You know, they, there was some uh, comments made. I think that they made some adjustments at halftime on both sides of the ball that I think you saw the fruit of in the second half. And that's one of the yeah. things that I think you you can look at at times as a sign of good coaching, right, is if you're able to make adjustments – they start working. The other team makes adjustments. Can you adjust to the adjustments? And it seems like Louisville adjusted to the adjustments. I'm not sure how much I saw that from Georgia Tech as well. Um, offensive scheme-wise, I thought that Georgia Tech did some really kind of creative, interesting stuff in the first half. Not sure we saw as much of that in the second half. I don't know. I don't know why. Yep. I can't really tell you, but um, things changed. You know, the offensive line, I think, for Georgia Tech had a, a pretty rough night. Um Louisville, I, I thought, played very well defensively, especially on the, the defensive front. So, you know, credit to them as well. I, I But I do come out of this, you know, I, I again, I think the biggest issue here is just be more consistent. Just be consistent and, yeah. and you know, show some more of that and they'll be just fine. Um, yeah, Haynes King, I, curious to see, you know, what he does in week two and in week three and, and how long you stick with him versus does Zach Pyre never get a look? I don't know. Um, yeah. Time will tell. Yeah. Um, Alexis Solaris, does Tech make a bowl game? I feel like they don't have to lose in this game. I, I made that comment is that um, th- if if you're looking at this game and you're looking at the win total, winning this game and getting yeah. over four and a half was like a huge deal, right? Um, yeah. Not winning this. I think it's still I, – I think a bowl game is still attainable. You know, and I, I looked at the, the rest of the schedule. Um, again, that Boston College team that did not look good – they're on mm-hmm. the schedule. Um, you look at, you know, Wake Forest, they played Elon. They looked fine. We'll get to them. Um, but they're, they've got their questions. They're on the schedule. Um, South Carolina State, Bowling Green, Virginia. Like We're going to have fun with that Bowling Green one, by the way. Oh, yeah, we are. Oh, yeah, we are. A um, couple of sound effects, I'm sure. But I, I think it's on the table for, for Georgia Tech to make a bowl game. Yes. Um, I, I think they probably need to go, like, six and one on a, like seven game stretch basically yeah um which is is tough but not impossible or you this can was a off, really you know miami or unc or something like that yeah this was a really important swing game mm-hmm. 
And this was, you know, going into the year, you know, if you were projecting Georgia Tech to win six or seven, this is one that you absolutely had to have. Now, South Carolina State, Bowling Green, those are two wins. I don't think Georgia Tech's going to go to Oxford and beat Ole Miss. Like, based on what I saw, they're all, again, Ole Miss played Mercer. Yeah. Grain of salt. But Jackson Dart looks perfectly comfortable in that offense. I'll, and that's on the road. I'll mention this. Game. I'll mention this, too, because I just noticed this this afternoon. You know who Ole Miss plays the week after Georgia Tech? Who do they play the week after Georgia Tech? I believe they're heading to Tuscaloosa. Yeah, okay. So, look ahead spot. Well, we'll look ahead spot. Mm-hmm. Uh a little roll the helmets out game. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, Bowling Green, Boston College, UVA on the schedule, you know, South Carolina State next weekend. You should get to four, right? And then there's a reason why the line was four and a half, because there are a lot of games here on the rest of the schedule. Obviously, Georgia and Clemson in November. Syracuse is a game I think is winnable. We'll talk about North Carolina. I think we'll go to North Carolina next, Joey, here in a minute. We'll, we'll sure. talk about them. But like North Carolina might have a, uh, I don't want to say a good defense, but like a competent defense, which automatically upgrades expectations for them because that's all they needed to do is just like have a pulse on that side of the ball, mm-hmm. which they haven't had. But yeah, I mean, I, I look at this; it's got to be Wake Forest or maybe Miami. Miami looked a little underwhelming. We'll talk about them in a few minutes. So you know, it's got to be one of those types of games i think for you know georgia tech to kind of get over the hump now and make a bowl game i'm not saying they can't do it though because i was encouraged by what i saw overall coming out of this game by georgia tech yep absolutely like you want to move on oh louisville louisville absolutely is going to win like nine games by the way sure (laughs) i mean if they're scoring almost 40 points per game yeah well, They'll be fine. I, they didn't even start well in this game. They they hung 39 on, on a Georgia Tech defense. That I think you and I both agree, you know, even if they're not good, they're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And, and they're going to play far worse defenses on the schedule than Georgia Tech. So, yeah, I think they'll be just fine. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, th- their offense especially looked a little bit like a new pair of jeans, like still kind of breaking it in a little bit, trying to get used to it and figure out what works and what fits and then, you know, what they like. So, uh, definitely curious to see how much more comfortable they get throughout the year because it, it took a while in this game to seem to settle into a rhythm for Louisville on offense. They went one for 11 on third downs in this game, by the way. Um, really, really odd stat. For Yeah, for a game where they score 39 points, to go one for 11 on third down is kind of bizarre. I texted you, you and Scott that after the game. I was like, this box score, like if you didn't watch the game, the box score doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the one for 11 on third down and still scoring 39 points is quite the accomplishment. Georgia Tech racking up almost 500 yards of offense. The yeah, one for 11 on third downs. The the turnover. I will say. Too. Yeah. Well, I, I will say too, real real quick on the third down point. The the key thing here is like Louisville just did a really good job of not getting into a lot of third downs in the second half. That helped, right? Oh yeah, like, yeah. they did a bulk. Of, they did a bulk of their scoring came in the second half, and they just decided they weren't going to get into as many third down situations as they did in the first half. That helps significantly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and they, uh, oh, the turnover battle too, I was going to mention. Um, I, I thought about this more is keep in mind that, yeah, like Louisville was plus one in turnovers, but like consider how those turnovers happened and when they happened. The first one for Georgia Tech was, you know, 
backed up way on their own into the field to start the game. Louisville didn't even get a first down, I don't think, and they kicked a field goal. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, there was another one, Georgia Tech, at the end of a drive. Like, they were in the red zone, about to score, yeah. you know, about to take, the, you know, a go-ahead, either field goal or touchdown, turnover, immediate 74-yard touchdown run after that. Like, that's super impactful. And then the one that Georgia Tech got was with five seconds left until halftime, set them up for a 54-yard field goal or something that they missed. So yep. the impactfulness of those turnovers was also, I think, really uh, magnified just in the way that the game played out for what that's worth. Definitely. Definitely. Yep. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mike, before we go to the next game, let's remind the people real quick about Section103.com, the Internet's premier place for all things wonderful Georgia Tech apparel. That that recap and all of our recaps brought to you by Section103.com. Uh, go there, find all things wonderful tech apparel. They've got T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, uh, the official logos, uh, the official tech gold. Uh, everything is official word marks. They've got some NIL shirts. Uh, I mentioned the Dante Smith and Zach Pyron shirts. They also came out on game day with a Haynes King shirt, uh, jerseys as they were with numbers and the names on the back. So go check those out. Those support the players by NIL if you're uh, if you're into that kind of thing. So uh, as the weather turns to a to, turns to fall, which it hasn't here yet, but as it does, there's hoodies there. Go check those out. Um, everything's super high quality. Looks great. Will be wonderful for any Georgia Tech fan in your life. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order at section103.com. Shout out to Steven and the gang. Appreciate your support. Uh, we look forward to the kind of continuing this season uh, with your support. And by the way, I want to mention one other thing while we're talking about Steven and the gang. Um, we, did, we did the emergency pod Friday afternoon talking about the, yep. the ACC adding schools. And I, I did the little bit towards the end on um, – the the three schools having this record that record against the ACC in different programs the site that i went to to go find those records is yes. winsipedia.com which is also from our boy steven so thank you steven mm -hmm. for supporting our podcast in more than one way uh, helping us out with the content as well so once again go to section103.com use promo big, code big go stats ACC. Guy. <laughs> big stats guy use promo code goacc for 10% off your first order at section103.com mike where are we going Let's talk about the Duke's Mayo Classic. The Duke's Mayo Classic. It was delicious, as it were. Uh, North Carolina 31, South Carolina 17. Uh, again, a game that was competitive in the first half and then just totally got away from the SEC team here as North Carolina pulls away in the second half. Uh, I I need to help understanding what happened here, Mike, because as as Philip Glass points out, North Carolina had 16 tackles for a loss, including nine sacks in this game. Yeah. Is, is North Carolina's defense fixed or is South Carolina's offense like a complete and total mess? Or their offensive line, well, see, especially. Here's the thing. What I mean, I was going to say offensive line, a mess. Like Spencer Rattler played fine. I, <laughs> he played I fine. I thought so. This offensive line, yeah, this offensive line for South Carolina is a bit of a disaster 
and that's mm-hmm. not to say that Carolina has not improved defensively. Like I want to make that known. I do, I do think Carolina's defensive performance is notable. And one of those things kind of to monitor here as we get further into the schedule, because, you know, I think North Carolina was one of those teams going into the year. A lot of people expected to be, you know, maybe the third best team in the ACC. I'll tell you what, if they play defense like they did on Saturday night at an adequate level and they still have Drake May in his bag like he was on Saturday night, I think they will be the third best team in the ACC. In fact, they could be like the second best team in the ACC if their chips fall correctly. This is just something we got to keep an eye on, right? They had nine sacks in this game against South Carolina. They had 17 all of last season. That seems like something we should note because Mm -hmm. that's a vast improvement no matter who you're playing and what kind of offensive line you're playing. South Carolina was a little bit banged up up front going into this game. That is that that's not, you know, throwing water on this whole thing. But it's just something to note that's important and that's a fact, right? They were a little banged up going into this game. With that being said, I was impressed by Carolina's defense, especially from like the second quarter on. First quarter was a little shaky, right? I I basically tweeted something like, you know, along the lines of like, this defense has just basically sucked the entire time Mac Brown's been mm-hmm. there. And basically from the time I tweeted that moving forward, they were pretty good. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they were getting off the field. And South Carolina's Spencer Rattler was running for his life. And, you know, I, I commend him for completing the amount of passes that he did in this game because he did literally everything in his power to keep South Carolina in it. But it's just really, really hard when you have to just literally take a snap, sprint out to your right for four straight quarters, and just hope to God somebody gets open on a scramble play. Because it felt like more often than not, that's what was happening. I just feel like it's really hard to play football like that for a long period of time. And as the game went on, it just felt like North Carolina got more and more comfortable. And South Carolina just kept getting behind the eight ball. A lot of third and long situations, especially in the second half. Just a really, really tough game for South Carolina here. And I think if you're North Carolina, you feel pretty good, you know, about going into this game in Charlotte and getting a win. You guys want to hear the drive chart from South Carolina in the second half? Oh, hit me. All right. South Carolina in the second half. Downs, punt, punt, field goal, downs, 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 end of game. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, oh. Yeah, so South Carolina was, what, 0 for 4 on fourth down, uh, 4 for 14 on third down. Again, really good for North Carolina defense. Something I think we should maybe consider, think about, yep. and, and I forget if I, I yep. texted you this, Mike, is um, should we consider the benefits that the Chip Lindsey hire and the you know potential kind of scheme and approach change on offense – the benefits that that is going to have on the North Carolina defense, because, and hear me out here, North Carolina's mm-hmm. North Carolina's first three offensive possessions of this game. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you the number of plays. I, it doesn't even matter the number of yards. What matters is the number of plays and the time of possession here, right? North Carolina's first three drives, nine plays, three minutes and 55 seconds. The next one, 13 plays, six minutes and 30 seconds. The next one, 13 plays, 6 minutes and 20 seconds. How many times under Phil Longo do you think North Carolina ever had back-to-back drives go for 6 minutes of time of possession? Like, Okay, grain of salt, new clock rules. But also, 
point taken. Yeah. Like how how many of them had back-to-back drives go more than 5 minutes? Like, you know, or whatever, you know, change clock rules be damned. Like the point is that, you know, an offense that goes a little bit slower, you rest your defense a little bit more, like that maybe that made a difference here. I mean, the clock rules aren't I mean, that it's not making up like 4 minutes of time of possession, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to be a minute here and there. I think your point is right on the money. And we've brought it up on this podcast before where this was an incomplete or maybe just like an incongruent like offensive versus defensive scheme, right? Where like you had, you know, the Phil Longo offense and then for a while you had the Jay Bateman defense. And the way that worked out was, you know, you had Jay Bateman coming from Army and he's used to the long time of possession. We're running the option. We're going to sit on the ball for seven or eight minutes. Coming over to Carolina, where Phil Longo wants to run like 80 or 90 plays a game, and he wants to, you know, put a million points on the board. He wants to run hurry up. And that's among the many reasons why I think Jay Bateman doesn't have a job in North Carolina anymore. I think that Gene Chisick coming in last year obviously didn't look great. And one of the questions this year was like, does he want to keep doing this? Because Gene Chiswick, you know, obviously a very, very good coach, right? He's had plenty of success from a head coaching standpoint, national championship level, all that stuff. We know he can coach defense. We know last year was rough. And our question coming into the year was like, does he really want to do this again with like an offense that's going to kind of run it up a little bit? But Chip Lindsey... To his credit, at least in game one, this offense looked like it was going to be a bit slower than Phil Longo's, which we expected, but maybe not to this extent. I think it does benefit the North Carolina defense to not have to be on the field so much. And a lot of times we talk about that in the context of offenses not being good. In Carolina's case, at least for a majority of Mac Brown's tenure, it's, well, the offense has been pretty good. Mm-hmm. It's almost been too good to the point where like they're not staying on the field for a very long period of time and you're almost like wearing your defense out the other way. So I think that's a really good point. I think it was important in this football game. I think it kept the Carolina defense rested. I'm interested to see if that's something that benefits the the team moving forward, mm-hmm. whether or not this is something this that you know we're gonna see week over week. But I will say like if, if Carolina you know, if they rack up nine sacks every week, which obviously you're not going to do, but even if they got like half of that and they were just playing like solid defense, giving up like, you know, somewhere in the realm of like 20 to 25 points a game, I think Carolina is going to win eight or nine games. Oh, easy. Yeah. Like, I mean, with this offense, I mean, if the defense only given up, you know, if the defense gives up less than 30 a game, like let's just kind of take it a little further. Defense gives up less than 30 points a game. Number one, that's a gigantic improvement. Number two, Carolina's offense is good enough to beat most teams on the schedule. Mm-hmm. So I'm upgrading based off of one week. I'm upgrading the outlook a bit for Carolina based on what I saw defensively. Yep. And we'll find out if this is more about South Carolina's offensive line and the poor play, or if this is more about North Carolina's defense, but I am encouraged by what I saw. Yep. Again, Mike football is a zero sum game. So, you know, when, mm-hmm. when your pass rush looks good, their offensive line looks bad. And, and so like you said, mm-hmm. I am I am curious to see what do you look like next week against App State, the week after that against Minnesota, the week after that against Pittsburgh. Like if you're coming up with four, five, six sacks a game, we have a bigger discussion to have here of like, holy smokes, <laughs> North Carolina's put it together on defense. Um, right. 
but could just be that this blip, this game was a blip, and uh, we look back on this in mid October like, what the hell happened there? I I don't know, right? But again, I I thought they looked good here in, in on both sides of the ball. I thought Drake May looked pretty good in in control. Um, good showing from North Carolina. Good good out of conference win for the ACC here, uh, getting one over on the SEC. I thought. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's a. <laughs> I see Phil Glass's comment. They could be playoff bound. I don't know about all that, but I will Why say, like, yeah, <laughs> they, yeah. I mean, they, they could be New Year's Six bound, though. Sure, like, this could be a nine or ten win team if the the defense is competent, the offense is really good as we expect it to be, and the offense was really good in this game. Drake may had a couple weird turnovers, but he's not known to turn the ball over really all that much. And North Carolina had a really good balanced attack. They ran the ball well. Uh, Britton Brown ran the ball really well. Uh, You know, they threw the ball well. You know, May had almost 270 yards passing. They'll be fine. Yep. Yeah, I think so. I think they're in good shape. North Carolina 31, South Carolina 17. Uh, Mike, you want to go to the other ACC-SEC challenge game? I was going to say, I just pulled that up. Mm -hmm. Let's go there. Tennessee 49, Virginia 13. You mentioned something earlier that I did want to call attention to that, you know, you were actually pretty impressed with Virginia. And I think it was around 20 minutes into this game. This is a seven, nothing game. And and I was with you. I was watching this. I was like, actually, Virginia's defense is holding up fairly well here. uh, All things considered. Um, So was impressed there. But of course, eventually the dam breaks and uh, Tennessee's up 21 to three at the half. And then just kind of, creates a lot of separation in the second half, kind of as we expected. Bad matchup for Virginia here. The thing I thought was significant um, was towards the end of the game. I mean, first of all, Tony Musket, the the stats show that Tennessee only sacked him four times. I, I yeah. did somebody miscount. Like I, I would have sworn he was sacked twice that many times. Like it was like every time I looked up Tony Musket being sacked. Um, so there was that. But he also got tackled at one point in the fourth quarter at a time that I was a little bit almost like, why is he still in the game? Like, this is so out of reach and it doesn't seem like, you know, there's any chance of a comeback. And do you really want your, you know, sun, moon and stars of quarterback out in the game right now? And he gets sacked at one point and comes up clutching his left shoulder area. Could have been like a collarbone or something. I haven't heard any updates on it, but you got to hope that that is not, you know, a, an injury that then lingers for weeks or even months here. Cause again, Anthony Calandria came in true freshman. Uh, I saw ESPN noted that he was the number 34 dual threat quarterback in his class. So I don't know that that's quite a, uh, a sounds like a three star to me. That's quite a badge of honor necessarily. Yep. So I don't know. Um, we'll see. Ultimately, I mean, this game was not close. I did see that the post-game press conference, uh, Tony Elliott mentioning that, you know, this is the first game that this team has played since the shooting that happened at the end of last year, um, including uh, Mike Hollins getting in the game, I think on the third third play of the game or something like that. He he came in, had a couple of plays. I'm, you know, I, I don't want to downplay that. I mean, huge deal, huge part of the, the healing process here. Uh, but at the end of the day, what happened on the field between the sidelines, I mean, Virginia was um, was kind of overwhelmed here and they they held on and, and showed good effort for a while. But eventually things started to kind of click for Tennessee and Virginia had no answer when they did. 
kind of very similar to the Louisville game, right, with Georgia Tech we were talking about earlier. The overall, like, takeaway of the game is about what I expected, but how we got there is not what I expected. Mm-hmm. UVA's defense held up really well against Tennessee's offense in the first half. UVA's offense is really, really bad. Like, like they're terrible. And I, <laughs> this is a Tennessee defense that is definitely, you know, they got some players and they got some athletes that UVA may not really see on the rest of the schedule. But Tennessee is not going to be a great defense either. So I'm a little bit discouraged by UVA's offense, but I was not anticipating it to be very good to begin with. Mm-hmm. I think going into ACC play, if UVA's defense played the way that it did in the first half against Tennessee, I think UVA is going to be in some games that they probably shouldn't be in by virtue of their offense just being terrible. Um, I have a... I had a low expectation of UVA coming into the year on the offensive side of the ball. Coming out of this game, I don't feel any better about it. I can't say I feel worse because I just feel like this was going to be a game where they were going to be overwhelmed on both sides of the ball. But they hung in there defensively, and I think that's a very encouraging sign if you're a UVA fan. Going into a year where I think a lot of UVA fans don't have a ton of expectations for big things. But if you look at this defensive performance, how they played in the first half... I think that's definitely encouraging. I see Ethan uh, mentioning that UVA versus JMU will be a defining game for Tony Elliott. A win bides him some time. A loss puts the clock on his time at UVA. Currently, JMU is a six and a half point favorite. There were a couple of yeah, texts that and, went around this afternoon in this group with the uh, the spread there mm-hmm. and what we're thinking about doing. Yeah. Yeah. Not to totally spoil the preview, but I'm probably going to be laying in with JMU. So, yeah, it's it's going to be a defining game for Tony Elliott. There's just not a lot of fan support here right now behind him. And just the way the hiring process played out and the way things have gone, it just makes you really wonder. And Bronco Mendenhall did not leave the cupboard bare. Yes, it was a surprise resignation. Not a lot of people were anticipating that he would resign the way that he did. But this is not a program that should be like 1-11, 2-10 bad with how they've been over the last decade. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They just simply shouldn't. They've been too good. They played an Orange Bowl four years ago. Like th- this is not a program that should be falling off this badly. So I do think the the clock is ticking a bit on Tony Elliott, and it, it's interesting to say that just one game into year two. But Tony Syracuse was on here for the you know the season preview we did just for the entire conference, and he mentioned that Tony Elliott could be in some trouble if UVA lays a huge dud this year. And it would not surprise me. It would not surprise me. Um, but again, very early in in tenure, it would have to be really, really bad. And I think that's on the table with how bad UVA's offense is going to be. But the defense, I was encouraged. Yeah, by. I I still have such a hard time seeing them move on here after just two years, especially considering some of the the context of you know the uh, what happened at the end of last year. Like, do you? Yeah. How how much do you hold certain things against him? I don't know, but definitely, I mean, from a, a roster building standpoint, it doesn't seem like this is getting better yet. Um, not to say that it won't, but so far, I mean, this is, there was, you mentioned, I mean, there wasn't a bear cupboard, not necessarily, but there was some stuff with Bronco Mendenhall uh, kind of, 
it sounds like there were some encouraging of players to leave the program to go elsewhere. Um, yeah. Scott's highlighting a, a tweet that Tony sent us of uh, feel for the program has been through and continues to go through, but he has to show something, anything. Uh, and, and I think that's probably a fair take. Um, I guess it's just a question of, you know, the, what, what pride is there and, and what, what is the expectation? Uh, you know, I, I, I think reasonable expectations would be winning, I don't know, four games at least. Yeah. 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 But you know, this team who, who knows if they can get there. And I, I just did a little bit of searching. It doesn't sound like there is a, uh, a public update on the Tony Musket situation here just yet. So um, there is a non-zero chance that you're stuck with a, a true freshman quarterback for the balance of the season. And uh, that is not, that is not a great situation with everything else you have going on here. Totally agree. So, um, yeah, encouraging first 20 minutes for Virginia here. And then it kind of fell apart from there as we expected. But, you know, I think there were some, some encouraging signs there in the first quarter for sure. So we'll see, uh, again, J- James Madison favored by a touchdown on the road in Charlottesville. Next, I think that's in Charlottesville, right? I believe so. Okay. Somebody tells me otherwise. Favored by a touchdown in Charlottesville next weekend. Um, man, that that has potential to uh, <laughs> just be a rough moment. So we'll see how that, that ends up going. <laughs> be a rough moment is, yeah. We, we may have some takes coming out of that one, I will say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mike, you want to hit your Hokies real quick? Stay in the state of Virginia? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, Virginia Tech 36, Old Dominion yep. 17. Um, this is a game that, I, you know, uh, never mind. Let me get out of the way. Mike, what did you think about your Hokies? <laughs> I cut out there. I think I'm back, though. Am I back? Yeah, Beautiful. you good? Yeah, you, I, I'm um, hearing you. What did you think about your Hokies? Beautiful. Uh, mixed bag. I thought, you know, I, I think Another the seal, my, my take coming out of the game, yes, very. Game one stuff. So overall take is Virginia Tech is way more athletic than they were last year. Way, way more athletic. Like fielding an FBS Power 5 team last year, I couldn't say the same thing. Uh, I think defensively, the ceiling is pretty high. I think that the issues Virginia Tech had last night, uh, that there were some explosive plays by ODU in the running game, which made me want to pull my hair out watching the game. But a lot of them were run-fit related that has less to do with the players on the field this season and more to do with the fact that some game one stuff was going on, right? Like correctable issues with their run-fits defensively. Offensively, Grant Wells, a quarterback, was a little bit amped up early, uh, missed a couple throws, uh, more than a couple throws, missed like four or five throws high over the middle of the field. But I thought he really settled in and played well, basically from the second possession of the second quarter on. I thought he was very good. Um, Threw three touchdown passes, really settled in, was comfortable. Allie Jennings had two of them, you know, transferred from from Old Dominion, had two scores. Jalen Lane proved to be a game-breaking type receiver in the slot, made a couple of big catches. 
Texas receivers were making contested catches, you know, which is something that just really didn't have a lot of last year. I am discouraged by the the run defense, even though I think that'll be a little bit better. I'm really discouraged by the play of the interior offensive line. Really struggled to just establish a run. Now, ODU was definitely stacking the box, forcing Virginia Tech to make some throws, um, which I think is the way to beat Virginia Tech based on what you saw to Grant Wells last mm-hmm. year. And ODU would would know, right? ODU played, you know, beat them uh, in Newport News. Like they would know, but. Yeah, I mean, I think Virginia Tech coming out of this game, I think you have to be encouraged if you're a Hokies fan by the fact that this is going to be a bit better this year than it was last year. This is going to be a watchable product. I think the defense has a chance to be very good if they figure out the run fit stuff, especially Virginia Tech had five sacks and nine and a half tackles for loss, obviously factor in the competition last night, right? But this is a game that Virginia Tech, right, defensively, if you had told me they had five sacks and nine and a half tackles for loss, I would have told you you were a little bit crazy because they just did not do that much at all last year. Have to go back and check to see if they did it at all, but they didn't do it a ton if they did, right? And that's an encouraging sign to do it even against this caliber of competition, mm-hmm. right? Because Old Dominion, I think, is going to be pretty bad. They're going to be a pretty bad team this yeah. year, I think. So a, some weird, some weird week one stuff, but. Virginia Tech scores 36 points. They didn't eclipse the 30-point mark all last season, Oof. so getting that out of the way in game one is good. Uh, offense is going to be a lot better. I think that's clear. But, yeah, running game's a concern, and then the the run fits defensively were atrocious at times. You know, Sometimes they were okay, but for the most part, they were pretty bad. So ceiling's high for the defense. They got some stuff to clean up, but overall pretty encouraged by the performance. I think this will... Be a team that, you know, if they play like they did last night, I think they could flirt with a bowl game, which would be a huge step forward with, you know, what they were a year ago. I felt like, and and I had this game on the second screen, so I wasn't watching it with a microscope. Um, I was watching North Carolina, South Carolina, and then I flipped over to Braves Dodgers after that because there's nothing I needed more in my life this weekend than a Braves West Coast road trip and late night games. And saw saw a tweet about that. I'm so tired. Yeah. Um, the one thing that came to mind, and I, I'm, I mostly just want your input on this, Mike, is the way, you know, and, and memes aside, when we were in the preview and I said, I can't believe we're laying double digits with Virginia Tech, but not with other teams and, and all this stuff. And your counter was this old Dominion program has basically been ravaged. Like the, the, the they're going to be bad this year, right? The, they're in a bad place roster wise, yeah. like all this stuff. It felt like it took almost a full three quarters for Virginia tech to really put this game away or, or really be in control here. There were, there were a couple of turnovers uh, from old dominion, I think late in the third quarter. And then again, in the fourth quarter that felt like it was like, okay, we're mm-hmm. done here. Uh, were you concerned about that at all? That like, you really felt like they should have been more in control of this game from an earlier s- setting. I mean, it was 16 to 10 at halftime. It was competitive. It was, you know, all that stuff. Like, was that, how how did you feel about the way that the game flowed? See, so going into it, I wasn't sure because there were a lot of newcomers on offense, mm-hmm. right? So I think the talent level was definitely a lot better than last year. I think it's like a less excuses situation if you found a way to lose because, you know, last year it was really disappointing because it was the first game of the year. I think Tech fans were a little encouraged going into last year just because it was, you know, Pry was a new face. We were past the Fuente era. I think that was it, but 
looking at the roster, you were like, man, this is going to be a really bad team. Going into this year, it's like, you know, the team's probably going to be pretty bad again, but like should be a bit better with, you know, the talent upgrades on offense. So going into the game, I just wasn't sure what to think of the offense. I think a big reason why the score was what it was at halftime is Virginia Tech, much like LSU actually tonight, they passed up on a couple of uh, field goal opportunities early in this game, right? They tried to go for it deep in opposing territory, didn't work out. I mentioned that Grant Wells just didn't really seem like he was settled in until the second quarter. Played a lot better in the second quarter on, was very good after that, but first quarter just really didn't play all that well. So the offense kind of spired out the gate, a couple drop passes, that sort of thing. Some week one stuff there for sure. Uh, but it was definitely a slow start. I wasn't thrilled about it, but there wasn't really a moment in time last night where I was like watching this game thinking that Virginia Tech was going to lose. Like it's last year, there were a couple times, which is a definite upgrade because there were like a few times in that ODU game last last year, like before the fourth quarter, where I was like, they're in a they're in a hell game tonight. I just didn't really feel that way. It just felt like you know Tech was kind of <laughs> Tech was kind of just like fumbling around last night like early and it was like if they just hit on a couple passes like they're going to figure mm-hmm. it out and they did so i definitely was not the the alarms weren't raised last night the way that they were a year ago on the road it was it was a lot different so i will say that but yeah definite slow start some week one stuff in there for sure the one thing i do want to say about grant wells is that and, and i'm mentioned this on the previews and stuff like that like season preview and you know the week one preview like the floor is just going to be raised with him naturally but I'm just not sure we're going to get like a really good gauge of what kind of quarterback he is he's just going to be okay I think you know he's going to have his moments where he's really good and he's going to have his moments where he's really really bad but like I think the floor is raised this year just because the talent around him is a lot better like good receivers, capable FBS power five mm-hmm. receivers, capable, like Bashel Tootin is an FCS transfer, but he's a good running back and had a couple of really important pass protection pickups last night, my yeah. dad. So the, the talent around him is going to be a lot better. So his floor is going to be elevated, but I don't think this is just going to be like an outstanding passing game this year, just because like the receivers are going to be a lot better. I just think that Grant Wells is a guy who's just going to be okay. And okay would be a gigantic upgrade based on what they had last year. I, I was gonna say I was I was somewhere between whelmed and underwhelmed by Grant Wells, and I that's kind of a continued trend from he's got a he's got a lot of Haynes King in him, Joey. Oh, yeah. It's gonna be like a lot of good moments and like a lot of moments where, where you're like, what the hell yeah. was that? And it's just kind of like just be okay more often than not, and you know the offense should be in position enough to to be successful well and that's the thing that you run into when you've got a quarterback like that is that then your your question is well are the guys around your quarterback good enough to win games if your if your quarterback is is not going to win you games but isn't going to lose them what what are the rest of the guys going to do at that point you know and, and you mentioned i mean old right. dominion stacking the box in this game i mean you had again you had about 100 yards rushing here but you had you know i'm gonna i'm absolutely gonna screw this name up Baishel Tootin, Baishel Baishel Tootin, and Malachi Thomas, a combined, what, 31 carries for 77 yards? Like, yeah, 
Virginia Tech had all kinds of problems running the ball in this game. I don't know if that's going to be a, yep. a continuing trend or if this is just the game plan with Old Dominion. Um, but that's something else to keep an eye on is can they establish a run game that doesn't put it all on Grantwell's shoulders as as competition gets more difficult? It's my biggest takeaway because if you put it all on Grant Wells' shoulders, he's going to turn it mm-hmm. over. I mean, he did it at Marshall. He's done it at Virginia Tech. Pretty big game coming up this Saturday against Purdue. A Purdue team that lost to Fresno State. That's, you know, not a bad program. But Purdue did not look very good in that game. And I just, this is an important one. This is a good measuring stick game coming up in a rebuild. So I'm interested to see how they look this weekend. I'll be there in person. I'll let you know. Beautiful. My wife will be there, too. I don't know if she'll be actually like at the game, but she'll be down there. So, yeah, we'll see. You'll be at a she'll hear my BS though. after the game. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. On, on all fronts. There. Yes. <laughs> I, was, I was wondering, I was like, wait, why is your wife going to be there? But you're not. Oh, right. You'll be in Arizona playing golf as one does. So. Yes. Yeah. Drinking mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Hypothetically. Hypothetically. Right. Dilly dilly. Um, let's move on, Mike. We got a couple more. We can kind of cruise through these. NC State 24, UConn 14. Uh, underwhelmed by NC State here. Oh. I, I will say this to their defense. Number one, game one on the road. You went up to UConn. Where, where is UConn? East Hartford. Stores. East Hartford. Stores, basically. Stores. Okay. Yeah. Um, I felt like that crowd was like actually kind of surprisingly fired up for a UConn crowd and what I expected. So uh, credit to them for that. Uh, you have a look ahead spot. You've got Notre Dame coming to Raleigh next weekend. So that doesn't help things either. However, uh, this offense was like fits and starts, man. They, they had a couple good moments and for a lot of the, for a lot of the evening, they struggled to get into rhythm. Um, I have real questions when NC State's leading rusher is Brandon Armstrong, that's not a good mm-hmm. sign. That's not what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, NC State should be able to get a push, especially against UConn, with you know their offensive line to make room for Jordan Houston and some of the other backs, you know, behind them. Um, but you know, there was there was enough good there for NC State. Um, again, offensively, I, I noted this. I think it was a uh, GameOnPaper.com that uh, had noted at the end of the game, NC state had a grand total of one explosive play on offense here. Again, fits and starts was not, uh, was not a consistent smooth product for this weekend. Uh, UConn averaged 6.2 yards per carry in this game. Notre Dame's about to beat that ass in Raleigh. I I don't know what the The line is. UConn averaged 6.2. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say NC State? Yes. UConn averaged 6.2 against NC State's defense. Yeah. Yeah. Bad. Bad. UConn against NC Mm -hmm. State. Not Notre Dame. This is not a Notre Dame offensive line. Mm -mm. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) This is Notre Dame minus anything next Saturday. I don't know what the line is. I haven't seen it yet, but... The way Notre Dame's run the ball, and again, they... Opened at minus six. <laughs> Joey. Can we, can, we lock up, can we lock up stuff on a, on a recap? 
I mean, a little birdie tells me sure. you're not going to be here for the preview. So uh... I'm I'm not. Hey, hey, Scott, you got the sound for me? Scott's yeah, got the sound it'll for come me. In. You better lock it up. It'll come in. You better lock it up. No, you lock it up. Lock it up. Lock it up. Lock it up. Please. Yeah. Does happen. that number not stink to you? It does a little bit. I think what's baked in, a, a couple things baked in. Number one, Notre Dame hasn't played anybody. They played Tennessee State and they played Navy. And they're on the road. So I think that's what's baked into it. But yeah, I mean, w- with some confidence. NC State's with defense did not look good here uh, in particular, uh, relative to what I would have expected, at least. Like they did just enough. I don't know. I was I was disappointed in NC State watching this game. I don't know if everything was just as vanilla as could be to avoid putting stuff on tape for Notre Dame, Notre Dame or if this is week one jitters, new quarterback, new new OC, like everyone trying to figure it all out. I don't know what it was, but I, I came away from this very underwhelmed by NC State. Um, so we'll see. I and, and thinking about, I picked NC State to be the number three team in the ACC, like the, the highest ranking. Not feeling great. Not feeling great no, about that. No, I, I'm not either. So I don't know. Again, could be just week one weirdness. It's happened before, and teams. You know, the, mm-hmm. the old cliche is that teams get. You know, the, the the biggest improvement is from week one to week two. So we'll mm-hmm. see. But as you mentioned, I mean, Notre Dame coming to town next weekend. See how that goes. Yeah. Just FYI, is since moved to seven and a half since it opened. Just FYI. Hmm. Are you still locking up seven and a half, Mike? Because yeah, yeah, this is this is this is Notre Dame by a couple. I don't scores. think it's moved. A, I don't think I've it's moved a point and a half lock since you lock uh, it locked it up. Lock it up. Lock it up. Please. Moving lines. Yeah. Moving lines. Yeah, I just I put a mortgage on it, so now I'm moving the line. Yeah. Uh. I don't know. And I think this is a good point. Evan mm. Sandage just pointed this out. Sam Hartman has had NC State problems. Interested to see the difference with the better supporting cast. Me too. Me too. Because this is a, a Notre Dame running game that he didn't really have at Wake Forest, right? Now, we can argue about weapons on the outside. Notre Dame's had their issues with wide receivers. Not not this year. It seems like they have a couple of young freshmen that have been really good. Jaden Greathouse has been outstanding. So, I mean, they, they have some young guys who have emerged at receiver early in the year. But Wake Forest, I think, has had the better track record in the last few weeks, uh, last few weeks, last few years in terms of, you know, having a more consistent passing attack and weapons to throw to and stuff like that. That's been Notre Dame's weakness, their downfall, really. But Sam Hartman's never had a running game like this in his college career. So, and he's never really stood behind an offensive line like mm-hmm. this. So those are the types of items to monitor here. My overall takeaway is that I was underwhelmed by NC State. The one thing I will say is that I will bet on, not not this coming week, but I will bet on Robert and I and Brian Armstrong to figure it out. Yeah, like I think the offense will definitely get better. Again, week one, it's not a new scheme for Armstrong, right? But it's a new scheme for everybody else. So that's really important to note. Like Armstrong's not the only guy on the field here, right? There are 10 other guys on the field. It's important to note. I think they'll figure it out. I think it'll take some time. But I'd put my money on Armstrong and I over a 12-game schedule to get this thing right. Last thing I have on this game, Mike, is far and away, I thought the worst moment of this game 
for NC State, and, and I can't believe I'm going to assign it to this person. UConn quarterback Joseph Fagnano drops back, throws a pass that is intercepted by Peyton Wilson with 54 seconds left on the clock. NC State is four points, four and a half points away from covering. Peyton Wilson with a head of steam and nothing but green grass in front of him says, you know what? We won the game. I'm going down. Peyton, you got to be more aware than that. You got to know what the number is. We're trying to make some money here, buddy. Come on. And a lot of college football (laughs) and a lot of and a lot of college football players have been a little bit too invested in the line. And shout we're not necessarily Iowa advocating. State. Shout out Iowa and Iowa State. And we're not necessarily advocating for Peyton Wilson to take it that far. But, buddy, know the situation <laughs> a little bit. All right. You got boosters trying Come to make on. money there, Bubba. That's right. Yeah. In the, in the stadium. I mean, Dave Doran's trying to. Are you trying to get NIL deals? <laughs> Come on. Take yeah. care of your people. Where do, you, where do you think Dave Doran gets all that money from? Rough. Anyways, uh, that's all I got there, Mike. Anything else? This is kind of the last game of consequence. I think think. so. Miami 30-38. Miami 38, Miami 3. Uh, That would be Hurricanes 38, Red Hawks 3. As uh, the U gets to retain the title of true Miami, as everyone is all stunned to find out. Um I mean, I thought this was fine. I don't know. I, I'm not going to lie to you and act like I watched like a second of this while Georgia Tech Louisville was going on, but um, Miami just kind of slowly gets it done here. They're up 16 to three at halftime. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke looked good, fine. You know, nothing too crazy here, but uh, Miami just kind of took care of business as far as I can tell. Ah, sort of. It took a little yeah. time, you know. And it took a lot of ACC teams a little time this weekend, mm-hmm. right? And we've we've brought those teams up. But I have a disdain for Miami that burns in my soul. <laughs> so I can make fun of them a little bit more for like taking a little bit of time to put Miami of Ohio away. Now, I will say, like, shout out Cam, obviously. But I will say that, like, the Hurricanes don't really come out of this looking all that bad in comparison to Brett Gabbert. Uh, Miami of Ohio's quarterback, who was 12 of 21 for 127 yards, who came out like, what was it, two, two and a half weeks ago and said, yeah, we'll find out who the real Miami is on September 1st. Yeah, we found for out. For those buddy. about to rock, we salute you, man. Like, let's go. <laughs> what? We found out, like. <laughs> what an idiot. Oh, what a loser. Producer Scott's in his bag tonight, man. Let's go. He's in his bag. Gabbert was running for his life in this game. Um, I'm pulling up the stats right now for Miami defensively. Uh, They had a field day here. Uh, They had, yeah, three sacks, six tackles for loss. A lot. I mean, you know what? Those numbers for, I mean, there were some more impressive numbers across the ACC this weekend defensively. But if you watch this game, like Gabbert was running for his life. I mean, he didn't have any time to throw this entire game. His passing stats certainly reflect that. The Red uh, Hawks could not run but, the ball to save their lives here. I mean, no, it was bad. No, no, real bad. Um, Tyler Van Dyke was pretty good. It threw five incomplete passes, threw for 200 yards, had a touchdown pass, 
Henry Parrish had 90 yards rushing and a touchdown. Um, the Canes were definitely committed to the run in this football game, no doubt about it. Ran for 250 as a team, threw for 243, very balanced attack. But it took him a little while to really just kind of put the pedal mm-hmm. down and pull away. But once they did, I mean, this game was not in doubt in the second half. Yeah. So a good first game for Mario Cristobal. And I will say, too, Miami's offensive line, I thought, looked a lot better than it did last season. Mm-hmm. So that's something that was really important coming into the season that I do want to note. Obviously, his stats reflect that. Opponent reflects that, too. But as we mentioned with some of these other teams tonight, the opponent matters. But also, if you look at the team relative to how they performed against similar competition last year, that matters, too. And I just think Miami looked a lot better up front than they did a year ago. And that's the thing that I'm going to keep an eye on with this Miami team throughout the year is it's not just like, well, Miami has historically been a uh, like kind of a finesse team of sorts. It's also, I know what kind of team Mario Cristobal wants to run, regardless of what the logo on the jersey says. Like, Mario Cristobal, offensive line coach, offensive line men, wants to run a big, physical, like, own-the-trenches kind of program. I need to see if he is actually building towards that here at Miami this year. And so this was a good first first uh, example of that, I thought, that they they had this week. Uh, we'll see if that continues next week when they host Texas A&M. The, that'll be an interesting game. <laughs> yeah, it will. More interesting than a year ago. Yeah, it will. Way more interesting than a year ago. Uh, in, in so many regards. So many regards. Yeah. Uh, Mike, a couple more games here if you're ready to cruise on through these. Yep. Wake 37, Elon 17. I believe there was a field goal at the gun here from Elon that uh, got this game over the total, which hell yeah. Hell yeah. Let's go. Um, I thought, you know, Wake showed up, took care of business, and they were good. Like Mitch Griffiths looks good, calm, cool, collected, in control, all that. Um, Yeah. Good showing from Wake to start the year. Griffiths really accurate. Made a couple of really good deep throws in this game. Um hit a tight end on a flag route like in the second quarter where there was nobody within like 10 yards of him. So that was really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Wake looked good here. Elon totally overwhelmed 24 to nothing at halftime. Uh, yeah. It, there was a pick six in the, uh, in the third quarter, which never looks good, but I mean, that's just any, just one play. That's fine. You're good. Good yeah. job. Wake. Agree. Yep. Pittsburgh 45, Wofford 7. Um, sure. Yeah. Good. No concerns. Easy win. 28 to nothing at halftime. And, I uh, it, cruise from there. I'm not even going to pretend like I watched this. So no. Let's no, 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 no. <laughs> the, uh, the afternoon slate on Saturday was not uh, prime ACC watching time. There were, it was this game, and then the other game was Definitely Syracuse not. 65, Colgate nothing. Uh, I did not watch that either, like even at all. Uh, Garrett Schrader, Carlos Del Rio Wilson combined for seven touchdown passes. I believe that's a school record, if I'm not mistaken. And Schrader threw it a lot, which I, the only thing I'll say about a this, lot. I didn't watch this yeah. game. The only thing, the only thing I'll say here is that. We talked about Jason Beck as the offensive coordinator. We talked about whether or not Schrader would be throwing the ball as much as he did in the bowl game. It seems like through one game, the answer to that is yes. 
Now, what re- remains to be seen is whether or not this Colgate, and that was just the easiest route to. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, first two drives for Syracuse. The first one, four runs for a touchdown. Second one, three passes for a touchdown. Um, <laughs> seven plays, two touchdowns. Um, one was entirely runs. One was entirely passes. So a uh, little tough to say. Uh, but, yeah, I, we'll have to see what Syracuse looks like against other competition to say what they're actually trying to do here. Um, I, I definitely – 37 passes between the starter and the backup versus 52 runs on the day. Who who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Yep. Good job, Syracuse. 65 to nothing. Big winners. Uh, Mike, that's all I've got on these games for now. Should we? Oh, crap. We forgot about one. Hold on. Hold on. Fire it up. Yep. 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 Scott knows where I'm going. Uh, Our boys, the Bowling Green Falcons, had a a valiant effort where they fell to the Liberty Flames 34-24. I believe Liberty covers as we all intended on the the preview. First game for Liberty under a new coach, and they win that game by 10 points. So good job, Scott Leffler. That is why we picked Liberty on the preview. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. We're back. As mentioned, Georgia Tech's going to get Bowling Green here in a few weeks, and this podcast uh, might might explode. I don't know. Like <laughs> The soundboard might get worn out that Come day. Boss. We'll see. No doubt. We will see. I have. Uh, Mike, should we give out a couple of awards? Team of the week, player of the week, at least. We I don't should. know if we decided on, uh, you know, go ACC moment of the week. Uh, team of the week, I, I think it has to be Florida State, right? I mean, huge win in a huge spot and a, a big deal there. Yeah, and I'm just going to go ahead and hand out because it is 1230 a.m. And, you know, we drink on this podcast. I'm going to just go ahead and give the Queen Elizabeth II Memorial You Died Award to LSU here. <laughs> I think it just needs to be done. I... I have no pleasure. I'm just kidding. I have a lot of pleasure in awarding this to LSU because this is one of those situations where, you know what? You were, you were pretty game here. <laughs> you were pretty game here. And it just didn't work out for you in the second half to the point where you were losing at 1.45 to 17. And I can't believe we have that sound on the board now. <laughs> we're going to have to play that a ton this year. <laughs> My goodness. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Yep. Yep. Nope. Yeah, that's, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, there's one other example I can think of, but I, I, they've been through enough. We don't need to go there. So stop. stop. Don't need to go there. Stop. 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 Don't need to go Continue. There. Continue. <laughs> uh, player of the week. You know, a, a lot of times this is a, a quarterback, but Jesus. I think this week, I think it has to be Keon Coleman. Um yeah, uh, yeah. Nine catches for one twenty-two and three scores. Yeah, that's uh, that'll do. The the, the three the right. scores part. Dudes to the left, stuck in the middle with you. Is the soundboard malfunctioning? Yep. Or uh... <laughs> this is unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're on a roll here. Uh, yeah, no, nah, it's it's Keon Coleman. He's a dude. He is a problem. By the way, like he he's going to be a problem for a number of 
teams that Florida State plays this year. Yeah. Yep. Scott Leffler gets the BVG. You tried award for trying to coach. That's from Alexis Solaris, who's been here from the start of this podcast tonight. Appreciate your support. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott Leffler is definitely a worthy candidate. Uh, I have my own personal you tried award, Joey, that I mentioned to you over text actually last night. Uh, ACC officiating. There were five targeting calls in the Virginia Tech game. Three of them were on a ball carrier, not a wide receiver. Uh <laughs> We spent more time in commercial for targeting calls than we did for time gained on the new clock rules. Uh, that's not an official timekeeping effort by me, but I just want to note that like, for all of the time we claim to pick up and for all the ads that we try to sell, uh, the officiating fell woefully short, at least in the Virginia Tech game that I watched. And I've seen some questionable calls in some of these games this weekend. There was a questionable targeting call in the first quarter of Louisville, Georgia Tech. Two that I wasn't. There, there were two, two, two of them. There were two reviews two on the first, like maybe three possessions of the game, and it was just like we're all looking at each other, like, can we just like play football here, please? Like, one of them got overturned. One of them was was confirmed and, and removed. I think it was Ben Perry from the game for Louisville. Um, that was yeah, that was a whole situation. And I don't want to be that guy because you and I have talked about this ad nauseum, but like targeting calls are way too punitive like stop throwing guys out of the game for a subjective call a 50 50 play when a guy is clearly not trying to take somebody else's head off it's just making a football play he shouldn't be thrown out of the game it's crazy yeah i mean you either got you either got to tear it or you got to say first penalty is 15 second you're out something other than what we're doing right now you shouldn't just get tossed from the game this is insane this is insane it's been going on for too long it needs to stop I've long been a fan of the uh, yellow card, red card system of, yeah, you know, tier it fine. If, if you it. get one, yeah, it's 15. If, if it happens again, you're gone. Or if you do yep. a, like a, something pretty egregious, you just get a straight red card and you're out. Right. Like, but these 50, but these 50, 50 calls, it's like eye of the beholder and somebody's getting thrown out of the game. It's insane. Like yep. we have to stop doing that. Um, something else that you mentioned, Mike, and, and the one thing that I think that happened more this weekend than uh, targeting calls, honestly, I think something I saw more of than f- actual snaps of football was commercials. Yeah. My goodness gracious, the, the, the clock rule is supposed to speed up the game. No, no, no. They reduced the amount of time playing actual football and they've just replaced all that spare time with more commercials. My goodness. Gosh, yeah. like every time, you know, we're, we're going to measure or, you know, somebody scores and, and we're going to kick off and come back. from. I mean, it's like I've got four, four and a half minutes. I'm hearing about the Golden Bachelor and I'm hearing about Dancing with oh, the Stars yeah. and just, yeah, can we get get this stuff over with, please? Like, oh, my gosh. This I guess this is where we're at with, you know, TV running football these days. <laughs> I was going to say. My goodness, it was terrible. I was getting, it was like uh, it was like a uh, every ten minutes, it was just a reminder of who was calling the shots in college football realignment. Yeah, it's like, man, I, I just wanted one weekend without talking about it, and you just—that's all I thought about all weekend. I was like, mm-hmm. the commercials are insane. It was like an NFL game. It was touchdown commercial, kickoff commercial. We're back, 
every review went to commercial, which I don't remember ever happening in the past. Every single review, at least in this LSU Florida State game tonight, every single review was in commercial. It was insane. Yeah, it was like it'll it'll only take a minute to review this. Like especially some of the, I mean, there were a couple targeting calls in the LSU Florida State game they reviewed that were like, it. I don't think anybody was thrown out, but it was like these are not these are not targeting. Right. Yeah. It was like pretty clear, cut and dried, but they went to commercial anyway. I was like, man, that tells you everything you need to know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Every injury, Alexis Lars bringing this up, every injury is commercial now. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just, Evan you Sanders know, says, a, a one minute commercial. It's like a three and a half minute commercial. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Evan Sanders says, I was at the VT game. The extra time for the commercial breaks and targeting reviews really dragged the game out from the stance. Yeah, I think that's going to be an unnecessary consequence. I think that's going to be something we'll be seeing more of this year. That's unfortunate for the fans that are in, in attendance, not even watching the game on TV. I was going to say, that's that's it's bad enough when you're sitting at home and you know you can go get something from the fridge, you can go to the bathroom, whatever. But like right. when you're in the, in the stands and you're just sitting there watching and just listening to the band play three different pet band songs and stuff like this, like, dude, it's, it's not better for the fan experience. Right, right. Hell, you could yeah. even flip the channel and go to another game, by the way. Just, yeah, you know, just throwing that out there. You could do that. <laughs> it wasn't an option for us tonight in the LSU Florida State yeah. game, but it yeah. is an option. It yeah. is. It is. Every weekend the rest of the season. Um, my go ACC moment of the week candidate, Mike, I think was probably a three play sequence in tonight's LSU Florida State game where, <laughs> yeah, um, I believe. Florida State had third and 10. This was in the uh, the second quarter, I think it was. Florida State had third and 10. Jordan Travis fires a pass. I think it was to Johnny Wilson. And he was open. It was about eight, nine yards from the line. So he was going to easily cross and get a first down. Hits him in the hands. Drop. So yep. Florida State lines up in punts. Punt comes down. And uh, it's a it totally muffed by LSU. And then... Florida State, so they've got the ball back. They they line up. Jordan Travis throws a, a bit of a boneheaded – I don't know what was happening there. Throws a pass behind the line into double coverage that is intercepted. And kind of lucky it wasn't run back for a touchdown, honestly. Yeah. Um, yep. But, yeah, three-play sequence of drop, muffed punt, interception. Go ACC to that. The uh, double pass play in the uh, in the Florida State game was also a candidate, yeah. right? Uh, where, needed on that one. Uh, yeah, I was going to say like very, very fortunate that that didn't end up in a total disaster. Uh, but I think your candidate that you brought up on social media was something that we should note as well. in the UVA Tennessee game mm-hmm. where Joe Milton, Joe Milton, <laughs> Joe Milton was flushed out to his left. This is in the red zone. He was flushed out to there. It is. It's been a minute since we had the sound. Huh? There's flush out to his. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Joe Milton flushed out to his left. UVA defender squares him up, kind of stops him in his tracks, and Milton says, oh, wait a second, I'm like 6'5", I'm going to run you over. Not only am I going to run you over, I'm going to literally stiff arm your face into the turf and get like six or seven yards on a play that where he shouldn't have gotten a yard. I mean, it was absurd. So, yeah, that's another strong candidate for going to see moment of the week, no doubt. Banana Slug made the comment that uh, the, the linebacker for Virginia actually played it really well, and I agree with this. Like, he, he was squared up. You can kind of see the calculus going on in Joe Milton's mind of, should I go left? Should I go right? And ultimately, he made the decision, I should just go straight forward. (laughs) Stiff arms the guy into the ground and goes over the top of him. Uh, That was kind of funny to watch. 
it works more often than not when you're the size of Joe Milton is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big dude. And I, I don't know what more you could have asked for from the Virginia defender. You're just kind of at the mercy of a dude who's uh, big and athletic and, and able to do that kind of thing. So definitely good on him. Uh, Mike, what are, we, what are we forgetting? Anything else? No, I think we're good. Mm-hmm. I think we're good. Uh, basically went how we thought it would week one, with the exception of Florida State winning a blowout. Mm-hmm. I think this pretty much went the way we expected. Didn't expect that. Did not expect that. Um, all right. Well, awesome. On to week two. Uh, we, we're we going to come back and preview week two. As mentioned, you're going to be at a bachelor oh, party. Oh, Kobe. Yeah, we got a Kobe Bryant Memorial. You try. Uh, Volume shooter of the week. Volume shooter Sorry. of the week. Not that you tried a word. Volume shooter of the Thank week. Thank you. Which keeping us honest. Yes. Which I mean really can be Boston College just trying to run the ball. I think would be a pretty good candidate. Mm-hmm. Not even have the stats in front of me. I know that that was ugly. They ran it okay. Twenty eight carries for one forty six. Okay, that's not um, bad. Thomas Castellanos twenty eight passing attempts for one hundred thirty eight yards. Not ideal. Um, now combined with Emmett Moorhead 10 attempts for 30 yards so uh the passing situation for Boston College did not go great now now um you we got a candidate in UVA I think mm-hmm. I'm pulling as I pull up the box score we definitely have a candidate uh yes Tony Musket Anthony Calandria combined 11 of 24 for 106 yards that's really bad not great uh, they also, as a team, now this is not adjusted for sacks, so take that with a grain of salt here, but 40 carries for 95 yards? Yeah, I mean, some of that is dropped down by Tony Musket's 10 carries for negative 23 <laughs> yards, which, yeah. again, somehow he was only sacked four times. I don't, I need to check the math on that because it felt like he was sacked eight times, as far as I could tell. So bad so bad up front this game for UVA yeah so bad not great not great um yeah I think those are a couple of good candidates for the uh Kobe Bryant Memorial Volume Shooter of the Week award <laughs> yeah <laughs> I yep. can't believe we no do doubt. that on this show my goodness uh we're not yeah nothing's <laughs> nothing's above us nothing's below us right <laughs> Well, actually, a lot of stuff's above us. Nothing's below us, above I guess. Us. That's for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> nothing's above us. I, I hold us in high regard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good deal. Uh, Mike, do you want to do a little housekeeping here and talk about yes. what comes next week? So as, as the people will notice, especially if you're watching live, and by the way, shout out to the folks that have been watching us live, dropping us comments, helping to inform the discussion. Really, really appreciate that. Hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have, because I, I for sure have. Um. You will notice if you're watching live, we are doing the recap at the end of the LSU Florida State game, which means we've not yet seen the Clemson Duke game set to happen on Labor Day night tomorrow night. Um, yep. So that game we, we have not seen, so we can't recap it. So we're going to come back. We will recap that game as part of our week two preview. Um, so we'll keep it tuned here. We'll, we'll, we'll keep you covered for all things that. Uh, Mike, you are going to be out of town uh, pretty early this week. It sounds like you are not going to be available for the preview. So uh, me and producer Scott will figure that out on our own time. Is what I'm hearing. Yes. Yeah. I think that's probably best. 
uh, I already locked up Notre Dame, so don't you worry. There will still be picks from me heading into this week. Week two is interesting. Like there are some oh yeah weird games. Mm-hmm. Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt, Wake Forest. <laughs> like mm-hmm. and Wake's Vandy's like a catching two touchdown and a half. favorite in that game. Vandy's catching twelve and a half. That we'll see. Like we're sure like, about that. We'll see. Like okay, yeah, we'll see. Virginia Tech's a one-point favorite against Purdue at home. That's basically a pick We discussed UVA. Texas A&M Miami, I think, is, I mean, outside of the Notre Dame-NC State game, that Texas A&M Miami game is going to be one of the more interesting games this week coming up. And we got Cincinnati-Pittsburgh. Pretty sure Cincinnati's ass, but Pitt's only an eight-point favorite. So we will see mm-hmm. some weird lines already out there. That's right. That's right. So we'll we'll send that podcast your way. Keep it tuned here. Uh, we'll get you ready for week two. Um, but I think the plan moving forward here, Mike, and correct me if I'm wrong, is try to get together as much as we can Saturday nights after games are over. Do the recap here. So um, if you're subscribed on YouTube, subscribed on Facebook, you know we we appreciate the support, and that's the best way to find out you know when when we're about to go live and come join in, jump in the comments, and and enjoy talking about the Saturday that was with us as we uh, get together each week. Yeah, that's, that's the plan. Uh, I mean, I'm planning to be here. I, again, I'll be flying home during the noon slate. So full disclosure, I'll be missing part of the noon slate on Saturday. Um, should be landing back in DC from Arizona next Saturday around three in the afternoon. So, uh, I'll be ready for the, for the nightcap. I'll be ready for the, uh, to jump on here and try to catch up on the early games and try to bring some informative takes on the games I missed. But yeah, I fully intend on run this thing next Saturday night. So definitely be prepared for that. Be well-rested, well-researched as bachelor parties lend themselves to. So for sure, there's no <laughs> shot. I'll be exhausted. No, we'll, we'll run it. Oh, be, we'll run it. Let's do it. There'll be a couple shots. I'm sure. But, um, so, Oh, sorry. That's not what you're talking about. Okay. never mind. Sorry. That's I, there will be shots of, multiple variations right? <laughs> yeah yeah hopefully not too many shots in the golf course because you know that's no no don't want that <laughs> uh mike that's all i got anything else producer scott anything else before we get out of here uh thanks for watching everyone yeah subscribe this has been fun oh, yeah subscribe hope you guys enjoyed uh you know we're, again it's kind of new for us doing the live thing and and the interactive comments and all that so we appreciate everyone jumping in and, and participating and, and kind of feeding us some content. So thank you. Thank you. Um, Mike, let's get out of here. We're going to come back as mentioned in preview week two, and we will keep you informed all throughout the season. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at FTRS Joey at Mike McDaniel SI uh, together at BC podcast ACC. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, all the good places you can go find our podcast. Amazon music. Amazon. Ask music. your Alexa play basketball conference. Mm-hmm. Ask her. My it's my dad's only way to listen to the podcast. So he can't find it otherwise, but he asked Alexa and it works. I, I, I triggered my section my uh my uh system earlier. I said something and uh, I heard it go off in the background. I was like, Oh dear, everyone else is sleeping in the house. So uh excited to see who who that woke up. But yeah, go find us. I'll say I'll say Joey, it's probably not the first time you've triggered your system post twelve o'clock, right? Anyways, uh, <laughs> continue. <laughs> yep. 
<laughs> I don't know what that means, but it could mean a lot of things. Um, <laughs> Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find some of our podcasts there. YouTube.com slash at the ACC football podcast. You knew the question I was going to ask before I asked it. So thank you, Mike. At BC podcast ACC on Instagram as well. Basketball Nailed conference podcast at gmail.com. Um, maybe on the preview, we'll get to the question we got from Keith Derrick uh, that we still need to ask. So we don't get like too backlogged. So if you've got questions, right. send them in there. That's a good place to basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Mike, that's all I got. You want to preview week two? I would love to, but I won't. So you guys got it covered. I'll send in my picks. I'll see you guys on the recap. Appreciate it. You better you better bring home a hole in one. <laughs> I've never been close, but yes, that would be nice. No time like the present. You saw me and Scott get very close in the same hole. Uh, and I tripled. I <laughs> yeah. Me, me, the best golfer in the group, tripled. I played ping pong mm-hmm. on that green. That was fun. Yeah. Me and Scott dropped a tee shot to within, what, foot and a half, probably, two feet? Yeah, it was two tap-in birdies. And I was, I was convinced I was going to hit a bogey from there because, you know, that's, that's how my putter goes. But, uh, yeah, we both birdied. And then, yeah, Mike is over there getting, sand trap, getting his steps in. Sand trap, sand trap, chip up, two putt, six. <laughs> well, hope you don't recreate that on this trip. Hit them straight. It'll happen at least once. There you go. All right. Well, for that guy, Mr. Mike McDaniel, for Mr. Producer Scott, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Hope you enjoyed week one. We'll talk to you in preview week two. And until then, go ACC.